Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. We have reached an important moment in the history of the coronavirus pandemic. The crazy battle over the need to wear a mask appears to be ending. Each day forward at this point, based upon the trajectory of infection in our community, it is becoming um, less important overall for people to mask in, uh, in just about any environment. Which means that in communities across the land, including here in New York City, Officials are beginning to lift rules for masks in public settings, including schools. Uh, New Yorkers have have done an amazing job in following the rules, so we're going to uh, pull back on children wearing masks outdoors. New York's Mayor Eric Adams on WCBS This Week with that good news. This week on 880 In-Depth, this dramatic change of thinking about the need to wear masks and the silver lining that came from the Omicron surge. Many, many people have become infected, and when we consider the number of people who have some degree of immunity currently to COVID, it's probably upwards toward around 75% based upon some modeling. Welcome to 880 In-Depth, I'm Tim Scheld. The CDC made a major move this week in a very, very low-key way. Welcome and thank you for standing by. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. During the Q&A session, if you'd like to ask a question, you may press star 1 on your phone. In a mid-afternoon teleconference on a Friday, a day when the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the announcement of an historic U.S. Supreme Court justice nominee dominated headlines... The CDC released new guidelines with new metrics to determine when and where people should wear masks now and how and when social distancing rules make sense. Sorry, you may begin. And thank you all for joining us for today's COVID-19 update. This is a big deal. The subject of lawsuits and bitter debate in communities across the land over the past two years. It's also a new path toward the place we've all been headed to, hoping for, in fact, the place called a new normal. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Today, CDC is updating its framework to monitor the level of COVID-19 in communities. We're in a stronger place today as a nation with more tools to protect ourselves and our communities from COVID-19, like vaccination, boosters, broader access to testing, availability of high-quality masks, accessibility to new treatments, and improved ventilation. 
Over 200 million people have received a primary vaccine series, and nearly 100 million have been boosted, and millions more have had prior disease. With widespread population immunity, the overall risk of severe disease is now generally lower. Now, as the virus continues to circulate in our communities, we must focus our metrics beyond just cases in the community and direct our efforts toward protecting people at high risk for severe illness and preventing COVID-19 from overwhelming our hospitals and our healthcare systems. This new framework moves beyond just looking at cases and test positivity to evaluate factors that reflect the severity of disease, including hospitalizations and hospital capacity, and helps to determine whether the level of COVID-19 and severe disease are low, medium, or high in a community. The COVID-19 community level we are releasing today will inform CDC recommendations on prevention measures like masking. And CDC's recommendations for layered prevention measures will depend on the COVID-19 level in the community. Previous guidelines recommended the use of masks for people who live in areas with substantial or high rates of transmission, which accounted for about 95% of U.S. counties. Now, the CDC will rely more on hospitalization rates and hospital capacity as a measure of severe disease in communities. And based on these new metrics... Most Americans live in places where it is now safe enough to stop wearing masks. Of course, ending mask mandates themselves in schools and places of business and other spots will be up to government officials in places like New York. New York's Mayor Eric Adams told us this week. We are moving in the right direction. We're going to do it in a safe way because all of these experts will tell you one thing. We can't close down again. We can't close down again. In the case of all these leaders who are now rolling back mandates in the coming days and weeks, there are still circumstances where masks might be worthwhile. And don't look for a rollback in transportation circumstances like on trains and planes anytime soon. But because we had questions about where we should still wear masks, we got on the phone with a person who's been a steady guide for us these past two years over the pandemic. Dr. David Hirschwerk. I'm an infectious disease specialist, but uh, I am the medical director at North Shore University Hospital in Manhattan. Dr. Hirschwerk spoke to our Peter Haskell. Tell us what you're seeing these days in terms of COVID and how have things changed since the Omicron spike? Uh, things have changed considerably and our rates in the community of new COVID infections has significantly diminished. Uh, our rates in the New York metro area um, is around uh, 2% um, positivity rate. And with that, our hospitalizations have really diminished significantly. The number of people that we are caring for at the hospital has come down. The number of new admissions of people to the hospital that have COVID has also come down. Um, our intensive care units um, really have very, very few people at this point who have COVID as their main diagnosis. And so overall, it's a dramatically improved situation relative to where we were um, at the latter part of December, early January. There's been a lot of uh, seemingly confusing guidance about masking these days. The risk is certainly lower. What would you suggest at this point? In terms of masking? Correct. 
Yeah, I think that um, the overall rate of transmission in the community is significantly lower. So overall exposure to the virus is significantly diminished. Um, I think we also know that in outdoor environments um, that the risk of spread is really very, very low. Um, I think that for the most part, um, masks have become uh, less necessary at this point because the rates are so low. Uh, certainly outside, I, I can think of very few situations overall where I think that there's a strong indication for masks. Um, I think in indoor environments, it becomes more a personal decision that people need to make. Um, I think overall, as I say, the rates are really very low. If somebody, for example, has been um, vaccinated and boosted and they don't have significant underlying medical problems that would predict that they might not, uh, respond to the vaccine, um, that I think that not wearing masks at this point um, is reasonable, assuming that you're not in an extremely crowded environment where you may not know the um, vaccine status of other people. But I also think that each day we go forward, as the rates continue to go down, we're seeing lower and lower risk overall. I think there are certain sites where it continues to make sense uh, to mask, and um, one of those is in healthcare environments, in the hospital. And I think, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, um, I can envision us continuing to wear masks because even though the rates are very low at 2%, there still is some degree of transmission. And we have a different population of individuals who are in hospitals, naturally. We have people who are um, have underlying medical conditions, and we, of course, want to do everything we can to protect them, um, also to protect staff. And so I think that uh, for the foreseeable future, um, we'll be wearing masks. I'm not sure that that lasts forever, though. I also do think that if we get to the point where rates really fall off and become extremely low um, and that is sustained that there may be a situation where even in healthcare settings we um, lift the masks but I think that's something that has yet to be determined and we'll have to follow. The debate over masks has been especially bitter surrounding school kids. So what does David Hirschwerk think about the need for masks in schools? Yeah, I think hard for me to really get in the middle of that um, right now. I think that, you know, everything that I just shared um, really sort of applies to all environments. And I think, again, you know, if you have groups of people that have been vaccinated and protected and the rates are very, very low uh, in the community overall, that the value of wearing masks really uh, becomes significantly diminished. Um, you know, hard to know exactly what that threshold number is for percent infection rates in the community. But um, what I would say is that each day forward at this point, based upon the tra trajectory of infection in our community, it is becoming um, less important overall for people to mask in, uh, in just about any environment. Should a school or a school district look at the vaccination rate and say, look, we don't have as many kids vaccinated as we like, we're going to keep it in place. And is that an appropriate 
uh, way to incentivize people to get their kids vaccinated? I think that's one um, piece of data that needs to be uh, examined, and I think that that has been. I also think that um, the overall rates in the community, regardless of the individual um, class uh, vaccination rates, also impact things because um, people often become infected in the communities where they live. There have been lots of strategies to try to um, encourage people to be vaccinated, including, um, you know, incentives that if one is vaccinated, um, that they may not have to wear masks. And to some degree, uh, those strategies have been successful, but they haven't been entirely successful. So I, I think that each of these things may have some value, but by itself, um, none of them have really proven to be the um you know, the main uh, influencer of why uh, somebody will choose to get vaccinated or not, or at least uh, an influencer of large populations of individuals. We've seen this deep political divide, and you and I have talked about this in the past. You know, at one point, people were dug in. You were for the mask. You were against the masks. Some suggest there's a, a middle ground now. But do you think those entrenched beliefs make it harder for the people on the pro-mask side to say, okay, I can let up a little bit now, it's safe. Yeah, I think that I think the best approach is to recognize what the situation in our community and in our environment is. I think um, to insist that masks be used all the time, regardless of rates in our community, um, I think, you know, takes away from the science of why masks would be recommended to begin with. I mean, rat masks, among other things, are used as a tool to help to uh, slow down the transmission in communities. It never was intended to completely um, block transmission, um, but it was a tool that was helpful. I think it is especially helpful when rates are very, very high in the communities, um, and it, as I had just mentioned, really becomes minimally helpful if perhaps not even helpful at all when rates are very, very low, especially if individuals are fully vaccinated and are not um, at risk of developing severe illness. So I think going forward, what really makes most sense is the decision to use masks um, should be based upon what is happening in the community. And if we have um, reliable, up-to-date data on what infection rates are in our community, as well as in other areas that may uh, predict that our own area will eventually become impacted, that the decisions to use masks could be based upon real-time data, um, as opposed to just a blanket statement that masks need to be used or masks do not need to be used. And I think, um, you know, I could envision periods of time going forward where if rates were to go up because of a new variant or something of that sort that masks would uh, be indicated whereas if we're in a situation right now where the the rates are very very low uh, that not using masks really makes a lot of sense. New Jersey's health commissioner Judith Persichelli said this week that the school mask mandate there will expire March the 7th and the decision will then be up to local districts themselves as to whether to have their own mask mandates. 
We encourage school districts and child care centers to consult with their local health departments and school nurses in determining whether a universal masking policy is appropriate for their schools and child care centers. Providing a healthy and safe environment is key to keeping our children in schools. Hirschwerk thinks this push to use real-time metrics focused on serious disease makes sense. That, and, and that's exactly what I'm getting at, is that that would be the ideal situation, is that we would have public health um, efforts based upon real-time data um, that could help to drive the um, decisions to use masks. Now, there are differences between mandates and recommendations. I, I think that in more vulnerable environments like hospitals, it would need to be a mandate where if rates are above a certain point that stronger efforts are put into place where um, as in, uh, in the community, whether it's a restaurant or a store uh, or a theater, that, um, you know, it, depending upon the rates, it may uh, be a recommendation or it may be a mandate. You know, there's also a difference in the types of masks that are used. I mean, any type of face covering um, is better than no face covering in terms of reducing risk of transmitting the virus from somebody who's infected to others. Um, in terms of protecting oneself from infection, naturally using an N95 mask or a K95 mask is going to be far superior than using a cloth uh, face covering and also better than using a surgical mask. But each of those remains with some value. And I think that it is at the point now where we're two years into this that um, it is also recognized that there really is a difference in the types of masks that people um, use in terms of protecting themselves. I want to put you on the spot and get your own personal comfort level. How do you feel about going to a Broadway theater or a, a ball game at, at UBS or the Garden or eating inside a restaurant? If you go to a concert or if you go to a ball game, do you wear a mask? What's your sense of that? Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> right. So uh, I have I've been to restaurants, I've been to ball games, and, uh, and I'm going to the theater this weekend. And I feel comfortable doing those things right now because the rates are low and because I'm somebody who um, has been boosted. Um, you know, and, I, and I recognize that the risk is not zero of becoming infected, but I feel better about things because the rates are very low. Um, and in terms of mask wearing, well, it depends. I, you know, will say that I was uh, at Madison Square Garden, um, yeah, not during the peak of the um, Omicron, but during a period where there was activity. And for that, I wore an N95 mask, but I was boosted, and I felt uh, that because uh, there was a requirement for um, vaccination to get in, uh, that wearing an N95, uh, but yet being there and enjoying the game was something that I was uh, comfortable doing. Um, so I, you know, I, I can I make decisions about each of these things based upon what the rates are in the area and also based upon who I'm with. So, um, you know, I, I I'm I, I want to be uh, mindful of the health conditions and vulnerability of anybody that I might be out with as well. Last question. Um, just give us a sense of perspective. 
we have come so far in this pandemic and still 2,000 people a day in the country are dying. That's number one. Number two, what do you see going forward? How, how do you see things evolving going forward? I think it's tragic that we have as many people dying each day from COVID uh, uh, as we do at this point in the pandemic. Um, we know that uh, mortality is a lagging indicator of activity in the area and the rates are continuing to fall, uh, fortunately, but they're falling only weeks after the overall rates of transmission started to fall. Um, but I think that that's really uh, speaks to all of the public health challenges that have existed since the beginning of the pandemic. I think going forward is really hard to predict. I think we are all um, hesitant to be over uh, predictors of this COVID crisis because there's been so many curveballs that have been thrown since the very beginning. I think many of us feel extremely optimistic right now, at least for the next several months. Uh, but you know, we all recognize that there's always the potential for a new variant to emerge, uh, especially since there remains heavy activity in some parts of the world, and many parts of the world have not um, had um, the same vaccination rates as other parts in the world. So with that, there's a risk of new variants emerging. Uh, the good news, if there is any from the Omicron surge, is that um, many, many people have become infected and when we consider the number of people who have some degree of immunity currently to COVID, it's probably upward toward around 75% based upon some modeling. Um, so I think in terms of um, what we see for the next several months, I think um, you know there's good reason for optimism and even though we have said this before, there's the hope that our spring and summer um, will be really very, very good. For his part, Eric Adams, New York City's new mayor, told WCBS 880 this week. Uh, Mr. Mayor, you said this week that you're going to take a, make an announcement of some sort in the next couple of days about the indoor vaccine mandate for the restaurants and the gyms and all that. So have you made a decision what you're going to do about that? Uh, you know, <laughs> it's interesting. I said I want to uh, pull back on all of these mandates, actually, but we want to do it in a very smart way. And so as the dates continue to move forward. I'm looking at the numbers daily with my team each morning. And when my doc the doctors give me the thumbs up, I'm going to make those announcements as we continue to pull back on the, on the mandates. But first, we're going to follow the science. I cannot say that enough uh, because we don't want to shut down our city again. In Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Scheld, are the executive producers. We invite you to subscribe to hear us on your time, on demand. Just look for 880 In Depth wherever you get your audio. Thank you for listening, and as always, please be safe.
is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 